Everybody doing okay? All right. Why don't, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn it on? <laughs> turn it on to um, Ephesians chapter 2. We are in a series right now called The New Humanity, and we are actually walking slowly through the letter of Ephesians, and it's been great so far. If you need to catch up, some of those teachings, audio teachings are online, and uh, just excited about what this epic letter, Paul's kind of closing remarks, his big ideas for the church in Ephesus, what they say to us now a couple thousand years later. Let's read in Ephesians 2. It says this, verse 1. I'm reading from a pretty unique translation, so if you want to read off the screen with me, that's cool too. It says this, so where do you come into it all? Well, you were dead because of your offenses and sins. That was the road that you used to travel keeping in step with this world's present age, in step two with the ruler, the power of the air, the spirit that is even now at work among people whose lives consist of disobeying God. Verse three, actually, that's how all of us used to behave. Conditioned by physical diseases, we used to do what our flesh and our minds were urging us to do. But what was the result? We too were subject to wrath in our natural state, just like everyone else. Verse four, but when it comes to mercy, God is rich. He is such great love for us that he took us at the very point where we were dead through our offenses and made us alive together with the king. Yes, you are saved by sheer grace. He raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in King Jesus. This was so that in the ages to come, he could show just how unbelievably rich his grace is, the kindness he has shown us in King Jesus. Verse eight, how has this all come about? You have been saved by grace through faith. This doesn't happen on your own initiative, it's God's gift. It isn't on the basis of works, so no one is able to boast. This is the explanation. God has made us what we are. God has created us in King Jesus for the good works that he prepared ahead of time as the road we must travel. And everybody said, freaking amen. All right, Paul. Um, Paul, very clearly here, is talking about how this new community, and we're going to get into the Jewish and Gentile stuff down the road as these two groups come together, and if you know anything about the history of the church, it wasn't always pretty, but Paul here is really hammering away that the road us people who didn't follow Jesus long ago, traveled, we were dead in our sin, but Jesus made us alive. And he's communicating this now with the church. I love the language he uses. That you were in step with the ruler of the power of the air, the Satan and his powers, but now you are under the rule and the reign of Jesus. Beautiful story. I mean, this is the story for us if you're a follower of Jesus. This is basically in a nutshell what our lives are what we've come into. Now, here's the thing I want to do. I hate doing this, but this morning is big. Um, All week long as I've been preparing, I've just been telling people, and nobody cares, right? This is the pastor dude thing. You turn to people, it's like, this week's teaching is going to be amazing. I have to say this to Heather all the time. She just rolls her eyes, right? It's always going to be amazing. But I do feel like this morning is super important in the framework of how we think as Jesus disciples. And I want to hammer down for just a couple minutes on this idea of us being saved by grace through faith. 
Most of us in this room have heard this. Nod your head with, if you're with me. This has become the central part of really the Protestant church. And there's a lot going on here that my eyes have just been open to in the last little while. And what does this mean, right? Like, we, we, this flows off a lot of our tongues. I'm saved by grace through faith. But here's what I want you to do. This is a little out of the ordinary. I want you to take a minute and turn to the person beside you. Crazy, subversive, I know. We're getting crazy in church at Praxis. And I just want you to answer the question, talk about it for a minute. What is faith? Go. Do it. Break the ice. You can do What is faith? We talk about this all the time. What is faith? All right. I know that's not a lot of time. What is faith? Here's the thing. Language is important. Would you agree? Language is important. So I remember uh, I met Hev through MSN Messenger. Like that just shows you how great of a day it was. Remember MSN Messenger? Remember ICQ? Uh-oh. Remember that? Remember those days? The best thing with ICQ, though, is you didn't have a username at the beginning. You had to give somebody like your 16-digit number. Do you remember this? Some of you are too young to remember this. So Heather and I met, and things were going pretty good. We had our first date at Bowler, which was tragic, but ended up good, I think, later on. Um, and so we were at that point a few weeks in where she was living in Sarnia with her folks. She was at Lambton College in college, and I think she felt it was about the right time within three or four weeks for me to meet her family. And so I'm driving the 402 to Sarnia, pretty nervous. Palms are sweaty. How does the song go? What is it? I'm not much of a... Thank you, yes. Um, And she gave me directions. And of course, I love you, Heather, you're not here. But she gave me, like, all sorts of directions that were not right. And so I ended up in downtown Sarnia. And this is like, you know, texting is getting going. And so I was texting her, and she's trying to give me directions. And finally, I get turned around, and I get back to her house. I'm nervous. This is like the first time I'm going to meet her folks. And I walk in, and she kind of embraces me at the door, and it's, you know, it's great. Hello. And her mom is there, and she turns to me, and she says, I see she's got you bum steer. That's what she said. She said, I see she's got you bum steer. And I was like, what? We're talking about bums, like in our first, you know, this is, this is odd. Uh, anybody know what bum steer is? Exactly. Lang- <laughs> bum-, bum steer is when you give somebody false or wrong information. And so this is the first conversation out of my future mother-in-law's mouth to me is she got you bum steer. This is how this whole thing started. And it shows you that over time, language means different things at different times. You with me. So I use a word in our home. I use the word sick. And my kids use it all the time now. And is the connotation of sick good or bad? It's good, right? We see this even with, it's interesting. I I thought it was funny um, this morning. We sang a song called Reckless Love. And when that song came out, there was a lot of controversy in the blogosphere. Of course, as Christians, we just all have something to say. And there was a lot of people upset about this idea, can God be reckless? And yet, we all know we're not speaking and singing of God being careless We know that language has changed, and in a way, reckless now is a word that's kind of used as slang to talk about giving and giving of yourself, at least in the context of that song. And language changes, and so here's the thing with faith. Some of us, we hear the word, we're saved by grace through faith, and we just nod our heads, 
And really, we don't really, and even for myself at times, don't think deeply about what that means. And so language is important. And this is why here at Praxis, we've always worked, and I don't mean this in a boastful way, but I think I'm proud in a good way that whoever gets up here and teaches you guys, we work really hard to come around the correct ideas around language because language has changed over the years. And we're talking about documents from the ancient Near East and the first century, and we have pools of people that come together to translate them for us in English in our Bibles. And sometimes, if we're honest, some of that language just needs to be looked at. And so this is why this is huge. All week I've just been saying to people all around me, this is huge because some of us have been in the church forever, but we don't really know what this word faith actually means. It would be interesting. We don't have time or at a time uh, to turn around or even hear from you guys this morning on what you, were, what you came up with when you turned around. But it would be very interesting to hear some of the dialogue around what faith is. Faith or belief is a word that's translated in your English Bibles, typically from this word called pistis in Greek. Can you say pistis? It's just a fun word to say, I guess. I don't know. This word, pistis, is used over 500 times in the Scripture, the New Testament. 500 times. That's a lot for the New Testament. And this root, the root word of this word, pistis, is used in verb and noun and adjective form, depending on how it's translated. Now, some of you guys know sola fide. Anybody heard of this? Sola fide is from the Protestant Reformation. Some of you maybe grew up in Reformed churches where this was especially a staple. Sola fide, fide meaning faith or belief. Um, we would translate and it has been translated as justification by faith alone. But here's the thing. What is faith? It's easy to say sola fide, we're saved and justified by faith alone. But what does that mean? I think when it comes to language, instead of asking what faith means in our language, I think what we should do is take a couple minutes and ask what pistis means and what it meant in its original context. Because then we'll be able to discern what we mean when we hear faith. Because for some of us, it's like you hear oceans playing in the background, just stepping out on the water, right? Anybody, right? Is that, really? Is that... Is that faith? Another great song, but I think it's actually deeper than that. So I've been really cha challenged by a book by this guy named Matthew Bates. I'm basically ripping him off. He's got this great book. There's a picture of it here. If you're into it, it's an academic book, but he tells lots of stories, and it's actually a really great read. It has changed the framework. Some of you guys may listen to the Synergist podcast. They've taken some time as well to talk about faith and what pistis means. So just want to throw it out there that I'm ripping a bit of them off in my own journey with this. And I've been waiting for Ephesians 2 because I think there's a lot of misconceptions. But let's do this. What is faith? I think the best way to get to this answer is by asking the question, or by, by looking at, actually, what faith is not. Here's a few things that faith is not. One, faith in the, sorry, actually, I should use the word pistis. Let me use the word pistis because we're looking at the actual Greek word. Pistis, what is pistis not? It is not the mental ascent. It's not a mental ascent or knowing a set of propositions about God. Faith, or pistis, in its original context, is not a mental ascent or knowing a set of propositions about God. In other words, it's not a, simply on its own knowing about the right things about God in your brain. 
right? This is not pistis. This is not what Paul meant. This is not what the New Testament writers thought of when they talked about faith or pistis, is what you think about in your mind. That's part of it. But to most people in the church, faith is simply knowing stuff, right? And that's probably the reason why discipleship in our context in North America is pretty much void in our churches, in a lot of them, because people have made it about knowing a set of facts and kind of clicking and checking off the mental checkbox. But that's not how this goes. Faith, or pistis, is not mental assent. And I know we see this all the time. I see this, um, have you heard the statement, you know, somebody at the Grammys, this just happened a couple years ago. I was watching the Grammys. I can't even remember who it was. And they get up and they say, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you heard this? And yet the song they were promoting was like about sex and idolatry and all sorts of stuff in this. I think there was like a money pit with girls like half naked in the music. I did only watch it for a second. But you know, like there was like, <laughs> there was like dollar bills flying. And this is the market in which this song was promoted and got popular. And the guy got up and said, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you know, if we're friends, I, I use this term now sarcastically a lot. So I've been journeying with some guys. I play a lot of hockey, and I've been journeying with some guys for the last 15 years. We play hockey together every week. And often if we win a game or I score a goal or I come into the room at the end, I, and they know what I do. None of them follow Jesus. They all know what I do. And I'll come in and I'll say, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right? And they all laugh. And through my sarcasm... Really, they know the point I'm trying to make. That it's easy to think things about God and say, oh yeah, God is, you know, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's, it's a whole different reality when we live this out. And so I continue to do it as this kind of joke. So faith is simply not this mental ascent. But it's also, um, I would say this, faith is not opposed or opposite to works. And some of us that have grown up through the Protestant Reformation churches that we have been kind of fashioned by in our day, a lot of you grew up in environments that pushed back on the Catholic Church. And some of that is rightfully so. There were some gnarly things going on in the Catholic Church in the 15th century, like selling places in heaven or purgatory. That's kind of gnarly. Can we all agree with that? I mean, there's some things that needed to be pushed back on. And I'm thankful for the Protestant Reformation. Don't get me wrong. But there's things through it where all of a sudden now, especially in Protestant churches, we are very skeptical of works, are we not? <sighs> because we're saved by faith, right? Well, how could we? I mean, works, come on. That is anti-pistis or anti-faith for some of us. And some of you are probably even thinking here, doesn't the, I grew up, we've, many of us have grown up in environments that would think, doesn't the Bible speak of works negatively because you've been shaped by this culture? I'll just say this, when the word works is used by Paul and other writers in the New Testament in a negative light in the New Testament, basically what Paul is talking about is works of the law, which doesn't refer to helping the poor and doing good with your life. This referred to things from the Torah that were Jewish identity markers, things like circumcision, <laughs> right, and kosher eating and all of these things. When Paul speaks of works, he's talking about this, stuff like works of the law. Every time a biblical writer talks about being saved by grace through faith, you know what's interesting? Is it's always followed up almost immediately by the necessity and importance of good works for those who have faith. Always. 
So some of you have grown up in an environment that's, oh, you just need to be saved by grace through faith. And what you do that, that totally needs to be disconnected, what Paul is talking about is typically Jewish Torah works of the law. And yet, it, it, Paul does it here. Did you read with me? I think we have, do we have it there? I don't know if it's verse 9. I, I have it here in my notes. But listen, Paul does this. It's, he says, it isn't on the basis of works, so no one is able to boast. This is the explanation. God has made us what we are. God has created us in King Jesus for good works that he has prepared ahead of time and the road we must travel. And so, my friends, Paul says you're saved by grace through faith. And what does he say? Good works follow this stuff up. It goes hand in hand. These things work together. And that, that mindset for a lot of us in this room absolutely needs to be shattered. That works as opposed to faith. Heather and I have some friends in Portland, and uh, there's a church there doing great work. And I just saw a couple weeks ago, their church helps with Portland Rescue Mission, and they help giving out meals and clothing to the homeless in Portland. And I watched a video clip a couple weeks ago of a pastor in town that called the work that they're doing an abomination before the Lord. Can you, can you imagine that? And he said, the work that they're doing amongst, it's all filthy rags, it's all garbage, and it's an abomination in God's eyes. And I thought, there's a guy who's been shaped by the Reformation in a way that says works and faith are separated. And that's, guys, that's just not the way this goes. Faith is not the opposite of works. So pistis is not a mental ascent, nor is it opposite of works. But I'll also say this, pistis is not the opposite of evidence-based truth. Now, some of you are going to get saved right here in Jesus' name. Some of you are going to be set free from this because many of us have grown up in a culture that pitted faith against science. Anybody in the room? Anybody with me? So people, this is how people talk about it. People think if you have faith that you got to step out of the dark and that means things like science or evidence-based truth don't matter. And this simply is not Pistis. Pistis in the scripture is not the opposite of evidence-based truth. Now, a lot of Christians will spew off Hebrews 11. Now, faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, as though we talk about it's something that is kind of out there and, again, stepping out on the water. Just can you play Oceans at the end? Is that okay? Are you all right with that? No, we'll see. It's not, in, it's not in the, it's not in, what do we call, what's the thing we use for our songs? What's the thing? We, planning Center. There it is. It's not in Planning Center, so it's not happening. It's not happening if it's not in Planning Center. But then Paul goes on. He says, this is, faith is this thing that we hope for. It's assurance of w- with what we do not see. But then he actually goes on to describe the ancients and tell stories of people and how their action was pleasing to God, right? And so we need just to be careful to pit science against faith. That is not how this works. And I even think of my last teaching, one of my last teachings. Some of you guys were there at EMG, our youth group, way back in the day. And I remember I was teaching on faith and at the end, you know, calling everybody to step out and be amazing and change the world and step out in faith and everybody's crying and praying. And I think Oceans was playing there too. And, you know, at the end, quite honestly, everybody went back to the way, most of us went back to the way we were living. And I'm guilty of this this misconception around the idea of pistis and faith. And so what some scholars have done is they've helped us by looking at this word pistis in its Greco-Roman context. 
If we want to see the fullness of faith and what this means for us in the here and now, we have to think deeply about what it meant in its day. You with me? You hanging in there? This word pistis was a relational word in the first century. And the way it was used was primarily used to describe the relationship between family members, husband and wife, or patrons and clients. I know we're uh, kind of removed a bit from this world, but masters and slaves, which we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about, and even the patron-client conversation and relationship. So at its depth, when we read the word pistis, and even in the Greco-Roman word, when this word pistis was used, it meant devotion or loyalty. Here's what the word pistis, I think, means, and Matthew Bates has done a great job with this, and this will revolutionize the way we think about Jesus and his kingdom. The word pistis or faith, I'm going to argue we should maybe even stop using a little bit and we should use the word allegiance. Can you say the word allegiance with me? Allegiance. There's actually historic, like, so you guys know that we have the Bible in Greek written in the first century, but then we also have a ton of extra documents outside of the New Testament that show us, I don't know if you know this, there was actually stuff written outside of the New Testament during the first century. You know, if the Bible was written today, you'd have other philosophers and other people writing at the time. And every time this word pistis is used, it's always speaking of either loyalty or allegiance. Not stepping out on the water, not stepping out blindly as we think of faith, but it's always talking about allegiance. In 1 Maccabees, this is a document that um, was created in the first century, first century before Christ. And the writer of this, this is a great example of how this word pistis was used. It says this, First uh, Maccabees 10, King Demetrius, to the nations of the Jews, greetings. Since you have kept your agreement with us and have continued your friendship with us and have not sided with our enemies, we have heard of it and we've rejoiced. And then he says, now continue still to keep faith or pistis with us and we will repay you with good for what you do for us. Now in this writing, when it's the word faith or pistis is used here, is it talking about a mental ascent? No, it's talking about allegiance. It's talking about complete loyalty over to this particular king. Another example, there's tons of examples if you read Matthew Bates' book. In the first century, 80, so after Christ, so this is during the time of Paul, there's a, a guy named Josephus who is a Jewish scholar. This is how he actually uses the word pistis. So jo- Josephus, he actually caught a traitor trying to betray him and offered to forgive him of what he had already done if he would repent and what? And be pistis to me hereafter. Is Josephus talking about something in the brain? Stepping No. Josephus, when he uses this word faith, which we translate faith now, he is talking about loyalty and allegiance. Are you with me? I think every time we read faith or belief in the scriptures, we should be thinking about allegiance. This is a game changer. This is a game changer. Because when the word pistis is used, it's talking about Loyalty. And it should be no different here in Ephesians 2. We are saved by grace through allegiance. We're saved by grace through allegiance to King Jesus. And this, my friends, is a paradigm shift for the church because it's not just about knowing stuff, it's about allegiance to the King. And we have a lot of people, you know, in our churches in North America, and I don't want to be judgmental. 
but there's a lot of people who I think think faith in their brain but don't hold allegiance to the king. And so faith or pistis is nothing less than knowing about God but it's a, and believing in God, but it's a whole lot more. Faith is allegiance to the king. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. And works is not separated from this. We're actually called into a life that's reciprocal. And we muddy this a little bit, I think, as humans. So here's, here's a good example. This guy, this picture, this is a guy named Kareem Hunt. Any NFL people with me? Anybody? A few of us. Few of us like winning teams. Where are my people at? Hey, look this way. We cheer, for, we cheer for a good team that wins Super Bowls and has a very handsome quarterback. Let's be honest. Are you with me? Right? Okay. No, none of you care. None of you care about Tom Brady? You're just my heart is broken. Anyways, this is, uh, this is Kareem Hunt. And uh, Kareem has had some issues on the, in the offseason with domestic abuse and some things going on in his life. And so he was cut from his football team. Uh, earlier on in the spring because of some of those issues. And so I just picked this up in my Instagram feed this week. So it's uh, Adam Schefter, my boy Adam Schefter, was reporting that uh, with his new team, the Browns running back Kareem Hunt, is being baptized today in Cleveland, which is amazing. It's so great. But listen, I just want you to lean in and listen to what he says. He says, I'm looking forward to it so I can feel reborn. And that's cool. That's, that's cool. And actually this week, honestly, and you may, this may sound funny to you, I prayed for Kareem Hunt this week that this transformation is actually going on in his life. But feel the nuance in his words. Baptism is not about us feeling reborn or feeling good about ourselves. Baptism is an, an act of allegiance to the king. Because faith isn't just something that gets me to my next step or helps me climb the ladder or helps me be a better person or helps me feel reborn. This act of allegiance to Jesus, you go under the water and you come out. In a few minutes, we're going to stand up and we're going to worship and we're going to come to the table of Jesus as an act of allegiance to the king of the universe. You see how when you view faith as loyalty or allegiance, the whole game changes. Because then we begin to realize that even getting up on a Sunday morning, getting your kids here and checking in and being with the family of God, we are aligning ourselves and giving our loyalty to the king in everything that we do. It's not just about what you think, and it's not just about feeling good. As we go under the water, and as people in the next number of years will go under the water and come out, this is an act of allegiance to King Jesus. Anybody with me? Anybody? The game changes from one understanding one simple word that I think we've taken out of context at times. So Bates would say this. There's dimensions of loyalty. We're almost done, I promise. He says this. There's these dimensions of allegiance. So one... Of course it's mental affirmation that the gospel is true. Of course in your mind we believe. Belief is part of it. Two, it's professed allegiance to Jesus as cosmic Lord. So it's something we use with our mouths. So for example, when people get up here to be baptized, what do we do? We get them to declare with their mouths that Jesus is king. If you were in the, I know it's a little disconnected for us, but in the first, because nobody bows their knee to Justin Trudeau, at least I think for the most part. But in the first century, to even trade in the agora you had to bow your knee to king caesar and now the jesus way is to profess allegiance to jesus as cosmic lord but then three 
This is what allegiance is or loyalty is. It's enacted loyalty through obedience to Jesus as king and Jesus as Lord. It's actually doing what he said. And so every time we read, I want you to do this, every time you read faith or belief in your English Bible, I want you to think of it as allegiance or loyalty. Right? Here's the classic one at the football games on the sign, John 3.16. Think about the dynamic and how it changes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that, ever who, that, so that whoever gives allegiance to him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see how that changes? Not just faith as we know it, but who gives loyalty and allegiance to the king. Those are the ones that won't perish but inherit the kingdom that is coming. Or some of you guys grew up in this environment, uh, um, I think it's Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. What does that mean? What if it was allegiance comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God? That we hear the good news of the king and then we give our lives, we lay our lives down. Or maybe you've heard us say things, and I think I even said it this morning, let's sing or pray with faith. When we, when we say that, we don't mean let's pray and kind of like try and step out into the unknown. What we're saying is let's pray and sing as people who Jesus is our king. We're aligned. Our allegiance is given to that king. The one word changes the day, the whole game in which we see this unfold. And you see through the scriptures, Jesus understood that the opposite of faith was not disbelief in the mind. It was disobedience. Anytime Jesus talked about the opposite of faith, it was always those being disobedient, not enacting his will. And even when you read further in the Gospels, faith was actually something that Jesus could see. Now, could Jesus see people's minds? Well, maybe, but I think the deal here is Jesus could see whether people were loyal to him or not as king, and that was what faith was. And so, my friends, I think the great Dallas Willard hero of mine. He put it best when he said this, when it comes to being saved by grace through faith, grace isn't opposed to effort, but to earning. Grace isn't opposed to effort. This is why we changed our name to Praxis Church, is because there was a longing within us that this is not just a mental ascent or just like doing a couple things to say we're Christians. This is a whole new way of living, and there's lots of effort And I challenge us, some of us especially that are steeped in Protestant kinds of ways of thinking, God wants our effort. It's just what he's saying here is we don't have to earn it. You don't have to earn salvation. It's actually reciprocal. Now, where are my uh, practice baseball people at? Practice has a baseball team. Yeah, we're 2-0. Oh, taking over London? Probably not, but it's, uh, it's all good. You know, I was playing catch with my boys this week, and... It's interesting, I got these two baseball crazy sons right now. So we stand out front of our, we stand on the street because our backyard isn't big enough and we whip a hard ball around until it's time for bed. And, you know, as I was reading through what faith means, it's interesting too, even in our concept of grace, we think of grace in the 21st standard as kind of a free gift. And there are absolutely part truths to that. But do you know that gift giving in the ancient world always, 100% of the time, required reciprocation. When you gave a gift in the first century, what grace meant was meant that something was reciprocated. Actually, Seneca, who was a contemporary of Paul, called grace, the way the word picture he gave to it is like playing catch. 
To be saved by grace through faith is to, resp- to, to, to catch the ball, to receive it, because it's free, but then to reciprocate it back. And we talk in our terms as though we just like receive this gift from God, the free gift of grace, and then we just go home and do nothing. This gift of grace is best enacted when we catch the ball and then we return it. And this is what it means in its original context. Grace is reciprocal. If your life and my life is not reciprocating back to the king, then the question would be, are we really saved by grace through faith? Because faith is allegiance to the king. You with me? Have I made my point? I've probably overmade my point. But for me, who have been at, I've been at this for a long time, I know I look young, right? Nobody, no, okay, maybe not. 36 yesterday. My, my kids thought I was 46. I said, slow down. I've been at this thing for a long time. This right here has been the game changer for me. Because I've just been afraid, well, we, we may look Catholic if we actually do stuff. Right? This is the Protestant way of thinking. No, no, no. We're going to do a lot of stuff. And your life is called to give every square inch of your life to the king. And it just looks so different than I feel like what we're caught up right now in the current moment in the 21st century in North America, at least in the church. God is calling us into the depth of his love, and that's to reciprocate this love back. So we're going to give room here an opportunity. We're going to sing this old, ancient, beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, because I just think it's appropriate. But I pray as we get up in a moment and we move to the tables, I know this can kind of table, sorry, move to the table, I know that this can kind of feel like mundane at times because we do it every week. But I hope this morning as we stand up and even the act of you moving your body to the table would just be a reminder that this is what worship is. This is what allegiance is. Faith is allegiance or loyalty to the king. You with me? Let's stand up.